1: Hello and welcome back to Pediapod for March 2023. In this episode, we take a look at cardiovascular outcomes in children with Kawasaki disease. Kawasaki disease is a common childhood vasculitis, and its global incidence appears to be increasing. Although this disease is self-limiting, and more recent treatments with intravenous immunoglobulin have drastically improved outcomes, the associated vasculopathy can cause cardiovascular complications with serious long-term implications. In this episode of Pediapod, I speak with early career investigator Cal Robinson at the Hospital for Sick Children, Toronto, Canada. He and his team performed a population-based cohort study using Ontario Health Administrative databases to determine the risk of cardiovascular events and mortality after Kawasaki disease. Here's
0: Cal. Okay, so I'm Cal Robinson. I grew up in Toronto in Canada, and after I finished high school here, I moved to the UK where I completed medical school at uh, University of St. Andrews in Scotland and University of Manchester in England. I then worked for a year as a junior doctor back in Scotland and then matched back to Canada for pediatric residency, which was at McMaster University in Hamilton. And it was really there at McMaster during my pediatric residency that I became interested in looking and uh, doing research in different childhood diseases, such as Kawasaki disease, using population-based healthcare administrative databases that we have available to us uh, here in Ontario. So after my pediatric residency at McMaster, I then moved back to Toronto to complete a fellowship in pediatric nephrology at SecKids. And currently, I am in the process of completing a master's degree in clinical epidemiology at the University of Toronto, uh, working with Dr. Ruland Parekh, and we're looking at different treatment options for childhood nephrotic syndrome.
1: So you look like you're heading into nephrology, but you've just recently published a paper on Kawasaki disease and cardiovascular outcomes. So you've got a few different interests.
0: Yeah, so I think the hard thing for me as a medical student and as a pediatric resident was deciding what I wanted to do. I, I kind of loved everything that I did. And in my first few years as a pediatric resident, I knew I wanted to pursue a subspecialty, but whether that was rheumatology, nephrology, or something else, I wasn't sure. So ended up uh, getting involved in research in a number of different conditions across different specialties, which I think was great. It, it certainly broadened the experience that I had and introduced me to new people and new research methods uh, in these different areas. So the research that we did in Kawasaki disease has certainly benefited the research I'm doing now in kidney diseases. But Yes, I'm by no means a subject matter expert in pediatric rheumatology.
1: Okay, but I suppose one thing that binds them both together is this kind of population-based approach to studying the disease.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think that for all of my research, I've been interested in trying to leverage the data sets that we have available to us. And I think that's a huge strength in Canada, that each province with a single payer healthcare system, we have a huge amount of data that's collected. And we can use this data to study long-term outcomes of different pediatric diseases. And that's a real strength, I think, that the power of of these databases in my mind is that we can get large cohorts, sometimes thousands of children with a condition, and then we can follow them for 10, 20 or more years.
1: It raises the question with regards to Kawasaki disease, how common is it? And what's the kind of global trend of incidence?
0: Uh, Kawasaki disease is the most common childhood vasculitis, but it's still relatively rare for our study, we included all children across the province of Ontario. So for the kind of 20 year period that we were looking at, there would have been about four to 5 million children in the province during that period. And of those children, we found that about four and a half thousand of them had Kawasaki disease. So you can get a sense for the numbers there. In terms of the incidence overall, so we previously published a paper looking at incidents here in Ontario, and we found that it has been increasing which is consistent with some other authors uh, here in Canada, as well as some other countries around the world, particularly in Asia, where they have quite robust surveillance data nationally.
1: Kawasaki disease itself, it's it's what you call self-limiting, isn't it? But what you were interested in was these kind of knock-on effects on cardiovascular health. Can you just give us a sense of the routine course of this disease?
0: Yeah, so we know that during the acute phase of Kawasaki disease, there's inflammation happening within the arteries and that inflammation causes damage to the structure of the arteries and sometimes ballooning of the artery or coronary aneurysm. And we know from other studies that those children with large coronary aneurysms are certainly at increased risk of heart attacks and other cardiac complications longer term.
1: Let's hear about your results then. You had this really great big cohort. What precisely were you measuring as your primary and secondary outcomes?
0: Our primary outcome, what we were really focused on was major adverse cardiac events. So That was a composite of developing a heart attack, a stroke, or transient ischemic attack, or death. And those are well-coded in the databases that we have available in Ontario, so we can be confident in those outcomes. In terms of some of the secondary outcomes, we looked at individual cardiac events. Um, We looked at uh, the risk of needing a cardiac surgery or other cardiovascular procedures to get a sense for what these individuals' risk of those would be as well.
1: I guess the headline result is that those major adverse cardiac events were, as you expected, higher in children who were exposed to Kawasaki disease.
0: Yes, we saw that children that had experienced Kawasaki disease were at increased risk of developing these cardiac complications in the long term after their initial diagnosis. So up to 10 years after developing Kawasaki disease, we still saw that they were at increased risk. But I think one of the other key takeaways is that the absolute risk, actually, of these events was quite low. It was less than 2% of them that developed these major adverse cardiac events throughout the follow-up that we had in our study, which was compared to just under 1% for a pediatric control. We looked at a few other things as well to get a sense for both the timing as well as which children with Kawasaki disease were at greater risk. And in those analyses, we found that the risk of these cardiac events was highest in the first year after diagnosis, and gradually the risk for children with Kawasaki disease decreased over time back towards the general population level. The other thing we found, which again was not entirely surprising, was that children that had coronary aneurysms during their initial illness were at the highest risk of subsequent cardiac complications. And for these children, about 10% of them developed major adverse cardiac events throughout our follow-up.
1: We'll come to what we can do with that information in a moment. But there was one surprising result, wasn't there, in your paper, which was that the KD-exposed infants actually had a, a lower mortality in your cohort.
0: Yeah, agreed. This was uh, a bit of an interesting finding, Um, not one that we had expected. It has actually been seen in some other studies too. So in the nationwide survey in Japan, which is a large survey of uh, Kawasaki disease patients that's conducted annually, they have also shown before that children with Kawasaki disease that don't have coronary involvement don't have an increased risk and may actually have a decreased risk of mortality long term authors from the Japanese studies have previously hypothesized that this may be due to decreased risk-taking behaviors and lower rates of accidental death. Unfortunately, with the data we had in our study available to us, we weren't able to look into that.
1: But you mentioned that certain Kawasaki disease patients were at significantly higher risk, those that had had coronary aneurysm. So how can that help clinicians to kind of to surveil these populations? What, what can we do with that information?
0: Yeah, I think this data can help in a number of ways, both for patients and families, as well as uh, healthcare providers. In terms of patients and their families, I think that this gives us information that we can counsel them better. We can talk to the timing and the risks of these cardiovascular complications after their child has recovered from Kawasaki disease illness. Now, our data really, based on how long we're able to follow these children up, really only provides data into adolescence and young adulthood. So Future studies are going to be needed to better understand what these individuals' risk of heart disease and these sort of complications is later in life, say in their 50s or 60s at more typical ages for experiencing problems like heart attacks or stroke. As healthcare providers, I do think that it provides information to us about which patient populations are at the highest risk. And for these patients, uh, certainly we need to be closely monitoring for signs and symptoms of cardiovascular disease, particularly outside of typical ages. So we see that these individuals could be experiencing uh, heart attacks in their teenage years or young adulthood years. So we need to be mindful of that when considering what the risk of those problems could be. And then also the surveillance we do. So whether these children need to be followed more closely in terms of blood tests or things like cholesterol, other imaging, and um, there is uh, good information on best practices for that in Kawasaki disease uh, guidelines.
1: Are we any closer to preventing Kawasaki disease or treating the inflammation of whatever's causing the vasculitis?
0: So certainly huge steps have been made in the last 20-30 years in terms of the treatment of Kawasaki disease. Historically, there were really very few treatments. Children were treated just with aspirin alone. Um, More recently, we started treating children with uh, intravenous immunoglobulin, other immunosuppressive agents. And really the risk of developing coronary aneurysms has fallen dramatically. So whereas historically, maybe 20 to 30% of children could have had coronary involvement during their initial illness, now that number is reported typically less than 5%. There may be studies that come out in the future looking at different immunosuppressive options, combinations that could reduce that risk even further, but there will always be children that are diagnosed a bit later or have developed aneurysms already by the time they've presented to a healthcare setting. So for these individuals, we know that they are at increased risk, and it's about understanding exactly what the timing of that risk is and what strategies we can use to try and mitigate that risk long term.
1: These healthcare databases sound like a bit of a gold mine. Are there, are there any limitations to using that data set?
0: There are some limitations in terms of the data that we have available to us. So we are confident that we can define Kawasaki disease in these databases, as well as the outcomes, particularly the major adverse cardiac events. One area where there's a limitation to this data is defining coronary aneurysms. And there are diagnostic codes that we can use to define this, but these codes haven't been validated in other studies. So with the data we have available to us, unlike clinical research, where you could go in to each patient chart and actually confirm the presence of the aneurysm, the size, other characteristics, We're not able to look at that level of detail.
1: I suppose that's a trade-off, though, with the fact that you were able to get such huge numbers and therefore more power in your statistical analysis.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that the big trade-off using these healthcare administrative databases is that you have much larger sample sizes, longer follow-up periods, and there's huge advantages to doing that. But you are limited in terms of the depth that you can go in, and that this data has been collected not for research purposes, but for healthcare administrative purposes. So you have to be able to work within the limitations of uh, of the data and what you have access to.
1: Are you going back to nephrology or what's next?
0: To be determined, I would say, I, I'm still very interested in Kawasaki disease and vasculitis. Uh, for the moment, my research is mostly in uh, common childhood kidney diseases uh, such as nephrotic syndrome, which actually has some overlap with Kawasaki disease in terms of potential causes of it. It's also an immune-mediated condition treated with similar medications. So we'll see.
1: That was Cal Robinson from the Hospital for Sick Children, Toronto, Canada. Thanks, as always, for listening to Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh. See you next time.